Welcome to Social Sessions. It's a true pleasure to introduce our esteemed guest, Karen McCluskey. Karen is a leading figure in the realm of community justice and social reform. As the head of Community Justice Scotland, her tireless dedication to transforming lives and communities is awe-inspiring. But Karen's journey is not confined to her professional accolades. It's a deeply personal mission to make the world a more empathetic place. With a background in forensic psychology, she's redefined rehabilitation and compassion in the justice system. And today we have the privilege of delving into Karen's remarkable work and her profound insights. Hi, Karen, and welcome to Social Sessions. Well, that's a lovely... I don't think I'm esteemed, but that's a really lovely uh, intro. No, definitely more esteemed than you think then, because <laughs> uh, you're really thought of, well, high, high, high thought of, uh, across the board. Um, so, Karen, what I kind of just do with all the guests is just kind of take them back to their childhood, mm -hmm. um, take them back to their kind of history. So, where is it? Are you, are you Glasgow-based? Are you... No, so I'm from um, a pit village, the Reading, oh, right. um, in sort of central Scotland. Um, just a really ordinary place, really. Aye. So, was there any kind of when you were growing up? Did you kind of have any kind of stuff that would you would see like um, that was maybe kind of similar to Glasgow stuff or kind of any kind of social deprivation or anything like that? So I thought, do you know, it's really difficult when I when I think back because nobody really had any money. Nobody had any. There wasn't any bought houses around there. Aye. But I had. I mean, I was lucky. I'd, I'd my mum and my dad, and they were they were good parents. And Aye. I always think it's it's who's behind your front door that oh, counts, doesn't it? You know, definitely. and and just dead ordinary. My dad was a labourer, and my mum was a, a secretary, and then you know just and they just tried to improve themselves and had three girls, you know. <laughs> but my dad was um, my dad loved judo. He was a you know, he, he used to take us to judo all the time. So I've got really fond memories. And not a moneyed background, Aye. but just a, a loving background. Which is obviously, I was really lucky these days, Karen. And, um, and back then, obviously, like, it was, there was a lot of kind of deprivation and stuff, do you know what I mean? And probably um, not as much this day and age, it seems to be there's a, a lot more kind of money at one side and then, like, yeah. um, in these days and age. But... So how how did you become kind of interested in social justice and stuff like that then? Do you know what? So my dad passed away a couple of years back, but it was really from him. My dad cared about everybody. I mean, he just did. He um he would pick. I mean, he was he trained later on. He went to university later on. He went to night school and and went to university later. I, I was at his graduation, you know, uh -huh. and. Um, I mean, he, he did biology, so he loved, he was always bringing animals home. I mean, honest to God, we had voles in the washing basket. We had <laughs> we had an owl. Somebody had given him an owl. And, you know, and this thing, which turned out incredibly vicious later on, but like he would, he would, you know, he just was, he would bring animals home all the time. And then he then started to be, he was a school teacher. And, uh, but he taught judo in the sidelines and he would like, Aye. and he would, Oh, the kids loved him for that, you know. I mean, I think he was probably quite a tough teacher. Aye. But he, he was genuinely interested in other people. And I think that's probably where it's come from. I think like, it's interesting you say that because a lot of kind of people would, would kind of say that it's um, nature and stuff like that. It's a great way to kind of become an empathetic person. And um, and also the martial arts as well is a mm -hmm. thing that t teaches a lot of people. So it's interesting you've got the two kind of... Uh, foundations there and that's obviously instilled that kind of 
empathetic part in you, Karen. Yeah, and just that, you know, it was always great fun. You know, that sort of, you know, we'd, I mean, I remember, I, I always say that's the first time that I realised that Santa Claus wasn't real. Sorry, <laughs> kids. was because I got a dojo suit for my birth, for Christmas. And I was like, Santa would never have brought me that, you know, that sort of thing, you know, because like my dad was like, right, we're going to judo. Right. And so I just think, you know, that camaraderie, that, you know, caring for each other and the team. So I think that's, that's pretty good skills. Oh, definitely. It's obviously set you up for where you've you've kind of went to in, in life, Karen. Um, so obviously just kind of looking at your, your background, I kind of obviously when I was researching your stuff, it was interesting to see you were obviously, when you went to university, was it to study nursing? No, so I, tra so I trained as a nurse first. Um, I trained as a registered nurse when I was, I think I was 17 and a half when I started, which I always think now is an extraordinary time to sort of try and, you know, you're meeting death. Know. You know, you're meeting people at the very end of life, often in pain. You it's know, very young and it's really, I mean, it is really young. And when I think back, I was probably too young to start off doing that. I hadn't matured enough, Aye. you know, to be able to meet that sort of complexity in people's lives. Aye. But it was a great, a great thing to do. I mean, I am endlessly pleased that I stayed the course and, and finished it off because it's sort of... It's given me a lot of skills. I mean, not only the fact that obviously I'm a really good stitcher now, aye, aye. but, you know, for lots of stuff that I've done later and I worked, you know, right through all my other sort of studying. My sister-in-law, she's she's actually a nurse as well. She's, I can't remember, she's quite high up nurse, but um, she kind of does the, she has, I don't know if it's a scrub nurse, like, and uh -huh. the things, and obviously she's got, she's really empathetic and she's yeah. really kind of got that background and um, mother, my partner's best friend as well. She's a nurse as well, and she's the same. She's like would help him. I think it instills that. Um, I don't think there's any point of going into it, Karen. Is there? If you're not got that kind of no, and and side. some of the best people I know are nurses. You know, so I work a lot with the Queen's nurses. I work, you know, I've got the parish nurses up in Dundee, and I just love the fact that people will speak to them. You know, people like health. You know, because when we're there to judge you. Were there to help you, you Definitely. know, and, and so people have got that sort of different interaction and they'll tell you their deepest, darkest thoughts and what's happened to them Aye. because they trust that that interaction and that's a pretty phenomenal thing to have, isn't it? Especially, as you're saying, like, at the end of life and stuff like that, when people are at that kind of stage where they may, may be questioning their own, like, is there a God? And cause this is the type of things I think I would be thinking about if I, was, I knew I was dying and, and maybe... Having somebody there that's got that empathetic, compassionate side to them yeah. is something that maybe their family's not able to give them at that time because of the stress and the strain, maybe. Yeah, and that's why hospice nursing is so, know. you know, phenomenal, really, in the whole palliative care world. And when we read about things like a good death, Aye. you know, Atul Gawande in terms of, you know, what matters to you at the end of your life. Aye. And there is, you know, there is a real skill and, and compassion to be able to do that sensitively, without instilling fear or, oh, you know. I, anyway, I think it's, I, I mean, I think they're lovely. I have got huge regard for some of the people who are still in, in nursing. Aye. So, obviously, you, you moved on from nursing. Was it, you went, did you go into psych, forensic psychology, so psychiatry I trained, psychology? So I did my degree in psychology. I went to East Africa for a while to nurse and then came back and, and, and did a master's in forensic psychology, investigative psychology. And did you have the kind of, um, were you planning on going where you went or? 
So I, I was really interested in how people work together in groups. And I don't know why, you know, I'm just really interested in how people make decisions in right. groups. And, you know, I mean, part of my original degree was I, I went to Northern Ireland. And so it was... You know, the troubles were there. So there was a lot of sort of, there was a lot of research going on about how people operated in groups, right. terrorist groups as well. And I was just, I don't know, I was just really interested. I don't know where it came from, really. But it's sort of, I'm still fascinated by it. You right. know, around how people do things in gangs or in groups that they wouldn't do just as a single person. Oh, I know that. I mean, that's a massive problem that, um, I don't even know if it's just Scotland that seems to be a, the gangs have went to a kind of different level, uh, even across Europe. I mean, you used to kind of hear the maybe the, like Mexico and South America stuff like having these big kind of cartel mm -hmm. gangs, but it seems to have kind of seeped into uh, Europe as well now. Um, and I do believe that most of these guys start out um, in small gangs where they learn a different set of rules because they've maybe not got the same kind of background that you they can with it. They've got a the parents that will tell them they're maybe stepping out of line yeah. or they're doing this or the discipline. Um, and we were talking about, I was actually talking to a guy, Bobby Keenan yesterday about, it, about the tribalism thing there. Um, I think there is, an, a, you, if you don't get that uh, validation at home, you'll seek it outside the home. Yeah, you need to belong. I Aye. mean, that's the thing. I mean, human beings are born connected. We were never meant to sit behind screens and no. look at people online. We, we, we like connection from the very moment you're born to to the moment we die, really. You know, we need that sort of connection with other human beings. It's how you get validation. Definitely. It's how you learn skills. And if you don't get it in the places that you're meant to get it, you'll find it elsewhere. Aye. Oh, no, I agree with you a million percent on that. And that'll probably take me into my next kind of question because I know that you worked kind of... Uh, you were a massive part in setting up the Violence Reduction Unit, mm -hmm. which was a huge success. Um, in the 90s and um, to be honest I think like that big push for the big kind of thing would maybe be good to get to get back at this moment in time the way things are looking in yeah. the streets now. So so there was a big so we actually we started it in 2003 when we had huge problems with you know homicide murder and, and lots of sort of recreational violence on the streets you know and it there's, a, there's an old quote that you need to see what everybody else sees, but think about it differently. Aye. Now, you know, we can look at, you know, I mean, we're, we're hearing all these things around antisocial behaviour and all these problems, and people want to apply old solutions to it. Aye. And I'm not sure that that's the right thing. I think we need to think of, of new ways of working, of new ways of supporting people. And when we started, it was that, well, one, we didn't know actually what was happening. We Aye. knew some of it but not all of it. Aye. And so we had to find out, was that surveillance issue? So what's the level of the problem? And then we had to look at all the risk and protective factors. And you and I and everybody that's going to listen to that will know it. And we've talked about, you know, having a, a supportive family, about learning the skills to be able to navigate your way through life without bumping into drink Aye. or drugs or violence or Aye. whatever else. And then you need to find out what works. So what is it works to try and get people out, to support them wherever, if they're at risk or whether they're actually involved. And then you have to scale it up. Aye. And and that's what we did. You know, we tried to we tried to put things in place 
that would make it better and not worse for people. And the thing is, I had thousands of people right beside me. Right. You know? I had teachers who were trying to keep kids in school. I had like health visitors who were going to visit parents and trying to support them in a different right. way. I mean, we could be here all day if I told you all the amazing superhumans <laughs> that just showed a bit of discretionary effort and thought, I'm with you, you know, I'd like Aye. to change this. I know, I think, obviously, like, I've watched the programmes that you've done, and I think, um, I know James well, and I know, like, some of the guys in, um, going into Easter House when it was that kind of, uh, it was very, very volatile, and it was, there was a lot of gangs, I mean, they were maybe talking eight, nine, ten gangs in there, oh, in the house more, alone, more yeah. than that. And, you know, and it wasn't just the vote, it was the people who were, who were in it, and, Aye. you know, and so when we looked at it, and, People always think of this hierarchical structure like an organised crime group, but it wasn't. It no. was, you know, we had, you know, young people who were around it. We had, you know, hardcore in the middle. And it was, I was in Easter House the other day. I don't even recognise it anymore. Aye. Fundamentally changed. I know. Fundamentally changed. I went, I was I was in, well, the drummy, like for, for, for the want of a better word to call it, you know what I mean? But I was up in the drummy and it just, it looks like, it actually looks quite affluent. Um, it actually looks really nice. Mm -hmm. Rakesi is the yeah. same. Um, I mean, obviously, there's still problems. There's a lot of problems up East End. I know that, but there is um, stuff that you like. How did like what I, what I always struggle with? Can how did you break the trust and how did you manage? Because obviously, you went in with the police. So, I'd, yeah. how did you manage to break that trust and get that trust for the gangs? I surrounded my myself with people who'd been there. I'll never be a 16-year-old boy that lived in Easter House. I needed people who had been there and, and done it, you know. I think it was James Dockett who always said, you know, the best person to help you out of a hole is a person who's been in there Aye. and dug their own way out. And it took time, don't get me wrong, I mean, because we were a policing unit. Aye. And, of course, the very first place that we started was in, was in the emergency rooms. So Rudy Crawford and Alistair Ireland, who were the consultants there, because they were seeing all oh, these people coming in having been stabbed and, and often giving terrible, terrible news to families that Aye. people have lost their lives. And they were saying, we've, we're done, we have had enough. So they were able to do lots of work in the emergency rooms. And of course, when people are an extremist, they're much more likely, see if they think they're going to die or like, you know, Aye. or some really terrible, terrible injuries. They're much more motivated to talk to you about change, you Aye. know. It's that sort of Prosecco and De Clemente capitalising on that that moment of change when people are thinking, this is not working out this well for me. Aye. I might need... I might need help to try and do something else and get out of this life. Because often people were on their phones plotting their revenge, you know, that tip for tap violence. Aye. And so it was a good time to try and do something. And we always said it was this was not about crime figures. It was about reducing the amount of people coming in through A and E. Because that's your real measure aye, of success, isn't it? You definitely, know? aye. So see, looking at that can that's it's like an amazing way to look at things and how did um how did some did you get some police officers that were like I don't I can't believe that you've even tried to give these boys all oh, the time oh Aye. listen so John Carnican and I who because John and I you know started us together just sitting looking at each other and think all right this is going to be this is going to be a journey and it's it's really interesting so there was a lot of people who just thought we were utterly bonkers 
That's just them idiots over there and they're talking about public health and they're talking about prevention, about keeping kids in school. And they didn't really pay any attention to us. Or they were saying, you two just need to get back to your jobs and jail people. Aye. And we're like, listen, if that worked, America would have no crime. And you know, Aye. we've tried all that. And actually, and see, here's the thing that I, I'm always saying to people, we'd filled the prisons. Like detection was dead easy. I know. Detectives all be like throwing stuff, you know, <laughs> at the radio now. But it it was because you had people on CCTV and such like. And but the thing was, we'd made absolutely hee haw difference to preventing it in the first place. And that for me is a litmus test of great policing. It's no about detections. It's no about all the stop search you do. It's about prevention of crime and disorder. That's a litmus test, and that is that's is, that's the most important Pelian principle. So they were. I mean. There's a whole other programme to tell you about the people who were just, who actually just tried to make it really nasty difficult. And stuff. Who made it made it made it really challenging. Oh. You know, until they started to see some change. At which point they were like, mm, might have had, might have had a point. I, I know it's it's the same with the prisons. I've kind of says it's like the prisons. Are, I mean, Natalie does a great job, but she does, and um, but it's, so, it's such a small minority that you're getting a hold of, and yeah. you're up against a condition system where. Both sides are conditioned to hate each other and both sides um, quite rightly so at that time because the both of them are operating in gangs and whether you want to call it a different name, but it is, it's like, it's a tribal thing. The cons against the screws, don't talk to them, don't tell them this, don't tell, they're also saying don't believe them, don't don't listen to them, they're manipulative of this. And I, that does harm, like, you've got, this is the barriers that you need to try and break down, but without compassion and empathy, can, I can't see... I can't see where that's going to change. But... And so you just need to find the people. I mean, so I was, I mean, I am, it's my only skill in life. I'm a really good finder of really good people. Honestly, Networker. I'm like, the, I am, I'm really good at it. It's my, you know, if you ask James, it's like, I, I can find the cops who absolutely get it. They understand Aye. that human connection Aye. that we are saying, does it make any difference what uniform you're, you know, you're wearing? We are essentially the same. And and I found loads of good cops who said, ah, what we've been doing before, you know, the, the jailing grandfathers, fathers and sons hasn't worked. I want to try and do stuff that's different. You know, I found I found actually police officers who'd been who'd been teachers before. And you know, and we, we got them to be campus cops because they had a fantastic set of skills. It wasn't about arresting kids, Aye. it was about being a good role model. It was about trying to connect what was happening in young people's lives and communities and then why they were acting out in school. You know, so you you have to see the behaviour in context about what they're bringing in and what they're living. So I found loads of good people. I found teachers who just said, I know what you're asking is really hard, but I'm going to try it. You know, the fantastic Nancy Clooney out in Dalmarnock Primary School, who I would make a dame if I could, Aye. who just understood trauma, understood what required to, you know, to foster resilience. And this totally back in the cared 90s, and loved like it. Were. No, this was like in the early 2000s, you know, right. just loved the kids. Aye. And that's what you need to do is you, you can't solve the whole thing. I can't make no. every cop understand I know. that what we're doing is the right thing, but you can find enough that you can make a difference. And that's what you have to do and get to the tipping point. Definitely. No, it's, and I mean, it's obviously amazing. I can, the, the work you've done has been uh, second to none. And um, I'm, I'm not a 
big fan of the police per se, do you know what I mean? And it's like I've seen them things and they've, they've done things and that, and it's people like yourself who break the mould. And kind of that's what I'm kind of trying to do. I'm kind of trying to do that with the prison, like looking at prisons and trying to, but a lot of people don't really want to listen. It's when you're saying yeah. you need to kind of break down. There's a, I don't know, it's like there's always, you you, you go into, we, when we're doing work that now and stuff like you'll go in and, uh, the prisons and you'll say the mat standards are getting rolled out, you're beginning them human rights, you're doing, and it's all great saying it at a high level and it's but it's no fault on doing can that really, isn't it? Um and it's people like Natalie and stuff like that that are going in and Natalie I can't believe she's changed Berlini and it'd been probably the most progressive prison in the Scottish prison system. If you'd said that to me ten years ago, I'd have laughed at you, do you know what I mean? She's like an infection, but a good infection. Aye. You know that thing? So I mean, you know how infection spreads through and sometimes it leads to compassion fatigue. You know that people saying, Oh, things are never gonna change. But you can have a positive infection as well, where people, Aye. you know, Natalie is going in there and I adore her. You know, she goes in, she shows people dignity and respect. Aye. And and that spreads through not only the people who are coming in to, you know, to Cisco and to the, the recovery cafes, but also the people that work around them because they see a different way of working. Aye. And then you see dignity and respect right back to you from the people who you've been, who you think are going to be, you know, they're going to be aggressive and violent and duplicitous. And they're not. They Definitely. just, you know, they just want something different. That's not to say they know how to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's the real challenge. And it's not a it's not a linear journey, is it? You know, no, progression's never no. in a straight line. People people recover or, you know, they, they try and change their behaviour and then something, you know, they go backwards and then you've got to pick them up again and, and walk beside people. And actually I think what Natalie and the team in there have done is modelled resilience. I, I know. I, and stickability, stickability, which I, I, I quite like. Definitely. No, I, I, I obviously, have, I was part of the kind of initial setup of the recovery cafe and I, I probably didn't take it as serious as to what I could see. And it's, it was like, I'd done 15 years, a long, long time in prison, Karen, and um, it was the biggest change that I've ever been able to see. And I know it wasn't a great amount of people that you could date with, but for what she offered and what she she actually and just the whole fact to get in a room for a full day with an officer being in it was Absolutely. a massive thing because you're then you're then allowing them to go look we're taking that aspect away and then it was amazing that Mick's story would actually allow people to go in with an officer so you've you've got you've got to take your hat off to both both sides Absolutely. in there. Absolutely, you know. Um, and that's similar to what probably used done in Easterhouse was managed to get maybe even some of the hard, harder families and maybe some of the harder to see, to see the good that you were doing. You can, and you know, so you hit on some really important there. So sometimes it's not a great deal of people. But see if you manage to change somebody and some, somebody thought, God, I never thought he would have changed. It makes them think about themselves. Well, if he can do it, I can Definitely. do it. And they start to see a bit of success. And when we we did the Edinburgh military tattoo and we paid the guys to come through and you know and they were telling their families that I was I'm on I'm on the ramparts in front of two and a half thousand people every single night performing, you know, <laughs> and whatever else. And the families are thinking, Oh my god, I've never thought that, you know. And there's a bit of pride in what you're doing, and that's how change happens. Sometimes I hate to say it. It's one at a time. Because when you start to think of the big, and you mentioned the word strategic, 
it's overwhelming and people think, oh, we'll never change this. And actually what you need to do, and I hate using this phrase from the bottom up, but you know, in the front lines, mm -hmm. and just start to change people. And then you tell people about the stories, Definitely. about change. And then it gets people thinking, oh God, I could do something. Who knew? I no, a bottom up you know? approach is amazing. Like it's, it's um, I think it's when you get to see the the stuff and work. It's so it's it's so easy to sit, um, go to big fancy road shows, go to these things and talk about massive change and all this kind of stuff. But when you go in and you see, you don't see it, you get disheartened. But when you go and see, even as you say, like the one or two people changing, you yeah. you get you go out. Oh, there is possibility here yeah. and there is guys. I mean, I know a couple of guys that I would have wrote off um, that have changed through Natalie's um, Recovery Cafe and I would have never thought yeah. these people were capable. And that's my that's my prejudice. That's me being shut up because um, I'm sitting going, nah, no chance. Do you know what I mean? Like he, when, and, then, and then to see them flourish, probably better than me. Do you know what I mean? In, the way, in a lot of ways and you're like, God, that's kind of believe how well he's excelled, man. It's amazing, isn't it? You know what I mean? There's been quite a lot of studies, you know, like where they take a photograph of someone before and then afterwards and they're unrecognisable. I know. And that's the... But there's nothing easy about that change. No. I think that's the big thing. I think people don't understand how technical and how difficult and how draining that change can be for everybody involved, both for the people who are supporting, Definitely. you know, and for the people who are going through it because trying to change your life might be trying to change your family and your friends and your community. You may have to leave all that behind. It's a huge ask. I don't no. think people really understand it, you know? No. And trying to break behaviour patterns that you've done for decades and then think, no, actually, I need to be something different. And sometimes that's because people have got kids. Aye. And they think, I need to ch I need to change this pattern. But it's a, it's a really complicated thing. And you're right about the trying to do stuff on the front lines because... If I sat and read out a violence reduction strategy to you, you'd be thinking, oh, she is boring. If I point to people and tell you, it's that person we're trying to change and this is why we're trying to do it, because he wants to do it Definitely. or she wants to do it, then it, it's got meaning. And I think this has got to have meaning for us and we've got mm -hmm. to be able to see people because that's what makes that's what makes me tick. It's, it's where the success comes into it. It's like you can... I mean, obviously, I... I probably say too much about when I'm talking about like the, the big recovery movements and stuff like that and I go that well like, come on man the drug deaths are still like going up and they're like you're you're taking a win when we're like dropping it by like four deaths and stuff and you're taking it and I'm going and I think it's similar with the violence and stuff like that where or even in prison you need to see people you need to see something and I've seen it so I, I believe in it now so I've seen the people change that I go I wouldn't have thought that. So that's changed me now. I go, it's possible. Like, it is possible now. So I, I've got that 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 outlook. But I think that these great projects are sometimes just, I don't know, they're like, I don't like bastardised for a better reason by the bigger kind of cop a bit in the government and stuff like that. Just because they're not ready yet. Do you know what I mean? So they take these, I don't know, like the projects and stuff and try and run with them in a different way. We run the wrong people and... It just seems to know. Yeah, you've got to feel you've got to be connected to the thing that you're trying to Definitely. change. Definitely, you can't. This is not a leadership exercise in that sort of way where you just 
pick something up and try and put it in place. It has to have meaning to the people that you're trying to do it with. Right. They need to understand and be part of it. Yes. And they mm. need to have a contract, a relationship contract with the people who are going to be working with them. Right. I mean, and if that's not there, it will never work. No. And I think sometimes, I think that's the problems of governments all over the world, really, isn't it? They want to do, they, they pick up a problem and they, they want to solve it. So they either make laws around it or they throw money at it. But it's not just about money. I keep saying this and this is where I probably people will be stoning me as a witch. I remember when we had loads and loads of money and we didn't sort this either. Aye. We need to know what works. We need to do it with people and not to them. Aye. Because that's the only way it will sustain. That's no, the only way it sustains. Can. I think if you show, <clears throat> if you were to get the BBC, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, whatever, to stop um, doing negative uh, stories and maybe go in and show a, somebody's journey of real change over a matter of a year, yep. go into the Curvy Cafe for a year, allow it to be seen, and then people, allow people to see the change that's when people go, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't know that's what they were doing in there. Like, yeah. that's rehabilitation. And you know where most people get that, that, that information about crime and disorder and drugs? They get it from Netflix. I know. So you're right. People need to see and think, oh, that is, that is amazing. I really understand it because what we're trying to do is really complicated. You know, know this. I know. You can't, it's not, I can't do it in 550 words in a Scotsman column. I can't, tell you about it in two minutes and expect you to understand. I've got to show you the, the complexity and the messiness and, and and just that, how long it takes to change for people to really understand it. And that's, I mean, that's a really tough thing. And you're right about the negativity. I think the sense of Calvinism in Scotland, you know that, oh my God, we're doomed. <laughs> you know, if it's nice today, it'll rain tomorrow. <laughs> I think it's really, is our undoing. So I was having a rant last week about how I hate every year when they do the SIND figures. So what we do every year is we tell people that the place that they live in is terrible. It's terrible deprivation. And it is about the place. Aye. And we don't, and I, I meet people and say, but I like living here. This is, this is where I brought my family. It's really good. I've got a nice school. You know, I've got all these good things. And we never talk about the assets. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, I've, I, I quite like, see, I quite like, I, I like Finland. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm no, a great, I'm a great like fan of, of Finland. Now, Finland, look at well-being and they do well-being indexes. And I think that there's something really positive about that, about looking at people's well-being. Instead of just looking at that really blunt tool around, you know, indices of multiple deprivation, we start to look at the, the sort of building blocks about what makes, what gives you well-being. And actually that's a much more asset-based approach about looking at the well-being that's out there and how do you enhance it mm -hmm. as opposed to a very negative deficit-based approach, which is about deprivation. I know. And I think we need to turn it on its head and I think we could. I mean, well, there's only five and a bit million of us in Scotland. I know. We are not a big country. And if you look at the countries that have fundamentally changed, so not only just around violence, but, you know, support their kids well, you know, make sure the kids have other skills, you know, to get through life, like communication and problem solving and teamwork. Their countries are five million. I know. Because you have a gripping span of command. It's an old policing sort of term. Right. 
Because you can actually, I can still fit Scotland in my head. I can envisage it. I know. And it's the people, see the people that, obviously I don't know you personally, Karen, mm. um, but the people that I do know that know you personally speak so highly um, to a degree that they would probably have you in charge. Do you know what I mean? Probably run in the country. I'd be I terrible. Uh, I would be <laughs> terrible. But um, no, I think, I th just to kind of see, when you're talking about uh, Finland, I've said it before, like, just even with the prison system, if you took the prison system, for example, how small it is, mm -hmm. it's not really that big. Um, and I know it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a vote winner, and it's not, and that's the reason why we're no, we're not going into that kind of territory. And I, I totally understand why the public would go. What about my granny and granny who's in a home? Who's what about like my granny and granny? Try to pay that. I get all that, and I, I'm not saying that prisoners should come first over that, but don't. Don't then moan about a system that's no working and, yeah. and, and make it. I always say, wear it then, wear the t-shirt and say, we're maintaining these people until they get back out into the community. And when they get back out in the community, there's probably a good chance that they're going to be worse because mm -hmm. they've been in there yep. taking drugs and they're going to commit. Yeah. Be truthful with people. I know. And we can't just warehouse people. I mean, or we should just be honest that that's all we're going to do. Aye. Because when you've got numbers like this, you can't you can't do all the work that people need in there, and people do need to be. They need to be. They need to have the opportunities for rehabilitation to learn different skills to maybe work on their education, so that when they come out, they're coming out better and not worse. Aye. But if you don't, then you know, hell men does. We're going to get the we're going to get the same again and again. And for most of the guys that I meet and the women, they have kids. I really love their kids. I can't go into primary ones and think, oh, well, you know, we'll just write off your mum or your dad because it's intergenerational, you know. And, and so there is some that's a bigger endeavour for us that we need to think. We need to think bigger and we need to be a bit bolder about what our, our vision is. And you're right, it's not a vote winner. I haven't seen in any manifesto anywhere for the last 40 years, right, we'll have less prisons. You know, and and I mean, it just it just isn't there. No, no. You know, people just they don't talk about that. I think they know it. I mean, I think I can speak to people one to one and say, no, I agree with you. You need to jail those you're afraid of. Aye. And I always say that no, no, those you're mad at, and we seem to be mad at a lot of people, don't Aye. we? You know, so the people and you and I both know them who would present a real harm. Aye. They're quite a small number technically. They're quite a small number. But we should be thinking about, right, how do we keep people in the community and connected? How do we support them to, you know, to address some of the challenges that they've got? And sometimes, and that might not just be drinking drugs. It I might know. be, you know, it might be CBT. It might be a whole range of other mm -hmm. stuff. But we just seem not to want to do that. Even like on a, even if you're not interested in the moral cost of it, which we should be. Right. The economic costs are absolutely extraordinary. I know. Prisons are very expensive. 70 solution. grand, 80 grand a year. Well, it? yeah, and I mean, so they always talk about the sort of, the mythical, so there's a sort of 30,000, 39,000. It's not really. When you start to look at the human and economic Aye, costing around huge. that, it's, I mean, it's billions, really. Because you've got free, um, like free, obviously, if you want to talk, like free prescriptions in there, you've got like all the kind of medical... Berlin, I, I, I believe, the last time I checked, was the biggest distributor of methadone in, in Europe. Yeah. Um, you've got, so you've got a lot of costs, you've got staffing costs, you've got, um, 
as you say, charities going in. You've got um, there's a massive amount. You've got nurses. You've got, it's, it's, it's massive. It's not just um, thirty nine thousand pound yeah. a year. And then if you've jailed someone and then they come back out and they're complex, that's a complex homelessness case. Aye. I mean, that'll cost you about eight thousand pounds. I know. So do you know what I mean? It's all money and we could be so much smarter about this. And I don't, I hesitate to use that tough on crime or the other right. soft on crime. I talk about being smart on crime. Where's the evidence? What is it we do? And then how do we put it in place? Right. But we need to set a long-term plan. Definitely. Because we're not going to be able to change this overnight and nobody no, is. No. But we should be able to imagine amongst ourselves what this looks like. And no, then definitely. think, right, how do we get there? And wouldn't, wouldn't that be good? I'm always struck when I go in and I went in to one of the recovery groups last week and or a couple of weeks back and you know I said to the guys at the end, we're finishing off and there were some really hard topics and people were saying, no, I have caused harm, you know. And then I was saying, I said to them at the end, tell me something good, good about yourself that's never appeared in the paper. Tell me something that's positive about yourself. And guys were saying, I'm a really hard worker, you know. I'm a good dad. Mm-hmm. Everybody has assets. Everybody has assets and we need to think about people's assets and then build on them. Individualising people's treatments into it. Individualising them. And I was really, I was asking asking some of them about what's the worst thing that people had said. One of the guys was really smart. He said, I hate being called a prolific offender. He said, because I can't live above it and I can't live below it. And it's taken me ages to try and work out, but it just feels that's him labelled for life. That so there's nothing else that's positive. But he can't he get, get out of here. He's always, that's, and people are always on top of him now. And, you know, and that's a really difficult thing for him to try and change. But we need to change that. Or otherwise, he's going to come back out and do the same old Definitely. stuff. I've said it before. Like, um, I know some of, some of the guys who are probably in the papers, big, well, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, prolific criminals or whatever, people with big high profile names and stuff. Some of the, ni- the nicest people you'll meet in prison. Um, and I'm not saying what they've done, we'll try to justify their actions in any way. Um, they've chose that path that they're on. Um, some of them won't come off it. Some of them will stay to that path and that's all they know. Um, I understand why they get there. Mm-hmm. I understand. But I also think if you were to say, how did you get here? Mm-hmm. There's a process of um, kind of, ah, there's a process of kind of brute, kind of, going through it there's a process of luck that you've not been killed in the, the process there's a process of kind of just being able to work out and navigate that criminal kind of element but if you ask them how did you get there probably most of them I don't know like, I, I, I just kind of yeah. and as I say you, as you're saying to come to drop your ego and come away from that is extremely hard and it, I, I, say, I say it again I'm not trying to justify it but that is what you're dealing with a lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, there's no excuses for crime. I always say there's no excuses for Aye. crime, but there's loads of reasons around Aye. it. And and I have to understand the reasons. Whether people like it or not, I have to understand the reasons to stop people doing it again. Aye. But I have seen, you know, so we employed lots and lots of navigators within the emergency Aye. rooms, you know, because obviously they intervened when people were coming in there having been you know, have been assaulted or they've been in fights themselves and come off worse. And lots of the people that I employed had come out of the prison had You know, and had done... I know a few really, of them. Well, you I know, know so, uh, you know, I'm thinking about one guy who said to me, having done, I think he'd done about 19 or 20 years. Aye. And he came out and he's phenomenal. 
I'd trust him with my life. Aye. I really would. He um he, said, he was always a lovely guy, by the way, in prison. He was always he was he was, was one he? of the guys who was lovely in prison and always looked at fee and stuff like that. But well, and is doing it outside, but realise he's he's done Aye. did harm and came out and he said to me, Nobody's gonna give me a job, I'm fifty. I've done all these time and I said, But we'll give you a job. Right. And and honestly, he was like the Pied Piper. Aye. You know, he was, you know, obviously big in recovery now, set up his own organisation. And actually, if I could human clone, I'd be human clone him because the impact he has is absolutely disproportionate to, you know, what I would ever have thought would happen Aye. to him. I mean, just amazing. And I, I know lots of people like that. I, I mean, obviously, these guys were in, involved in heavy, heavy uh, in crime, and they're able to they're able to reach people that um, a normal police officer, a normal social worker, a normal person wouldn't be able to reach. It's, yeah. it's a there's a level of trust there as well because they've lived it and because the people feel safe just in that talking to them the way that they know you've been through that and. Yeah. Um, and turn their life around, the bravery Aye, to be able to bravery. turn their life around, you know, to be able to stick with recovery, Aye. you know, to admit that, you know, and it's that old phrase that you're powerless, I know. you know, Aye. in the face of, of those substances. Aye. And that's a, that's a big deal. And to be honest, to be honest about what's brought people there. And I think when they see others having done it, it's much easier to walk that path yourself. Definitely. And, you know, and that's, I mean, I've been really fortunate. I've been really fortunate to bump into people who've been like that. And can I tell you, hand on heart, I don't think any of them have let me down. Aye. Never, you know. People always say, oh, you must be you must be worried. And I'm like, no. Never. No. Aye. You know, because I think when you give somebody a chance and, you know, it's an equal footing that, you know, you trust. I mean, these are people Aye. who worked. I can phone them at night. I mean, and I have phoned them at night. I phone them at weekends and say, would you come out with me? I, you know, I need to go and meet somebody. Never a second's thought, always there. Aye. But I think that's a testament to you, Karen. I think um, if we had more Karen's in the world, we'd be, we'd be much better off. Do you know what I mean? It was, that's one of the ones. There's not a lot of people that's got your understanding or your compassion or empathy for, um, because it is, it's, it's, it's what you said earlier. It's like you need to understand the situation and you need to work with it rather than. I don't. It's like that's like that nutcase in the parliament the other day. That Swaila Braver things like that really get get bother me when they say things like um, the homeless people in this thing are ruining our cities and stuff. And you're like, you've put them there. Do you know what I mean? You're on a hundred and sixty five thousand pound a year taxpayers' money. Like you, well, you can say that. Do you know what I mean? You're you're from a background that's kind of privileged. You you don't know any of these people's stories. I just don't know why why you can even think you can say that. You have to tune this sort of stuff out. I know. Because there is always going to be voices around that are pejorative and, you know, don't understand, don't take the time to understand. And I think I just now, I just don't listen to it. I try not to look on Twitter. I try not to read below the line. Because there will always be people saying, ah, you know, you're wrong. And I'm like, well, I'm doing it. And I know loads of other people are doing it as well. And I can see the change. And it's really interesting when people say, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. They never have come up with an idea about how to do it differently. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So there's all the critics, but they haven't actually got uh -huh. any answers. And you're like, okay, I'm waiting. Uh -huh. So if it's not that, then tell me what it is. You know, still waiting. They wouldn't know today if you passed well, it. Well, that's it. You know, and, and they wouldn't. And I, 
And I think particularly for the third sector, and I'm a huge fan of the third sector, I think because they just think, oh, it's just charity. So they don't realise how skilled they are. I actually think there's loads and loads of compassionate and empathetic people. Aye. I think, you. I mean, we bump into them everywhere, don't we? We yes, bump into them aye. in recovery, you know, in A, you know, in any. There are loads of people out there. There's more of us than the detractors. Definitely. Seems to just, like, um, the detractors seem to get a better... I don't know what it is. It's like a, a better backing or something. Like to, to, this, maybe no. I, I actually can see a wee bit of change lately. People are starting to kind of maybe, but they seem to have more, more money, more power. Maybe I may, maybe more contacts in the right places. If if, you're, if that's for a better word to maybe. say, but I don't know. Maybe I mean, I mean, obviously we had the ex president of uh, the United States who 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 definitely made it a much more toxic place to live. Aye. I think, you know, and and that sometimes, I mean, you know, Twitter and some of the social media, sometimes it speaks to the darkest part of people's hearts. Aye. They'll, they'll tweet something they would never say no. in front of you. I know. But it's 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 led to a, a shift, you know, it's led to a shift. It's that risky shift, doesn't it? Definitely. And it, they would say things they would never think about saying. No, definitely. And it does create a platform for other people who also think, like, I'll just say that. Aye. I mean, I just... Something you know. can be... I mean, obviously, since I've started this, like, we get... You get the odd comment, do you know what I mean? Most of them are... are uh, thinking about my... Um, people get affected with it. I don't, it doesn't bother me, can I? I've, I've been ran through them all by the press, I don't know many times, so it's like... I, it's They get to the stage where you just go, whatever they say they're going to say, I can't stop it. Uh, I know what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to do it for good. I'm trying to do it for, make a change. I know why I'm doing it, so I don't really care what people say. Do you know what I mean? And I'm going, you're, as you say, you're always going to get the haters. Um, and you do need to understand for a point of view that there are people that have been hurt and stuff like that. There's a lot of people that's been hurt by crime and whatever. Do you Absolutely. know what I mean? Um, but one of the interesting things, I don't know if you watched that. Did you watch that banged up? Did you see that? No. So it's quite interesting i think you'd like it kind of basically what they've done is they've grabbed um a bunch of kind of uh, ex-cons mm -hmm. who have turned their life about mm -hmm. but they've asked them to go into a prison and recreate oh i've, I've um, seen a clip of it and they've put the celebrities in it there was a couple of tory mps in, and uh, so the first guy that goes in man he's like um he's getting a hard time and all that like he's they're kind of on top of him it was a guy who got caught looking at Porn or something, but that guy, I can't remember his name, um, in the House of Commons. But he, so everybody's all kind of saying to him about this, like, oh, what, what, what kind of porn is it? Your wallet, all this kind of stuff, right? So they're giving him a right hard time. The way it is in prison, mm -hmm. like, you couldn't come into prison with a charge like that or anything, and you would get slaughtered. That mm -hmm. is just what it's like. It's like living, it's like you've got to survive it. So he's, he is feeling it and he's talking to Camry Sale. He's like, I know that I've been through this, but it's, it's really intimidating. And this is a day in a fake prison he's in. And these are the people that are saying you need to be hard on crime, you need to be this. See, within the second day, his cellmate was like, you need to go and do something to him, by the way. He's going to keep doing that to you. <laughs> um, and he went, he was showing him, just I think he was just kidding. I think they've been told today, it was like, look, this is how you make a weapon. So he banged a toothbrush and melted <laughs> it, put the razors on it and all that, and he went here. The guy was up slashing the wall, going, ah, that's a good one. That's a Tory MP who's hard on crime. Slashing, oh, this is a good one, this. This is re really good. And then he's going and going, ah, it's amazing how creative the prisoners are. I mean, that was some weapon they made. And you're going, oh, I, could, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I was going, you've been in there for two days and you're conditioned to a certain extent 
we do think people that have grew up generationally through traumatic backgrounds, what, what do you think they're coming out like? It's, um, it's just, I have to say, I don't think I could watch it now. I, you know? no, I don't I think I could watch it now. And But I, I mean, I, do you know what's really interesting? I um, We're doing quite a bit of work on restorative justice. That's a, that's a massive and, thing. That and I, it's, it's fascinating because the deprivation of your liberty is the punishment. Aye. What happens to you in prison isn't the punishment, it's the deprivation of your liberty. And so everything else should be, you know, focused around rehabilitation. But we've been doing um, quite a bit of work now. We used to have quite a strong restorative justice service in Scotland, and then for a whole range of reasons, it's sort of frittered away. But there has been a an attempt to try and think, right, well, what would it look like for us to have restorative justice mm-hmm. for people who have been harmed by crime? Aye. I think to meet the people who have harmed them now, it's a victim-led I know, that's up to them, aye. And it's, I actually think if we had more of that, I think, or at least had the availability for it, that people might start to understand a bit more. And it's not about forgiveness. I I keep saying that, it's not about forgiveness, it's about understanding. Mm -hmm. And for peace for yourself, to a certain degree, I mean, I've got, I've had a lot of, I'm not going to go into it all, but I've had a lot of forgiving, I've had a lot of acceptance that I've had to do in my life. Um, And I'll get to a level that, you think that you're that you're okay in forgiving people and all that that maybe no don't mm-hmm. want forgiven, but I need to forgive them for me. Yeah. Um but maybe even no to the, the height the kind of levels of the crime that I was in for, but maybe even somebody who's been broken into their house and they're yeah. scared. Um yeah. see if you sat across with that person, you've seen that person maybe rattling with drugs, like the actual you actually get to see that person and the, how weak they are and how downbeaten yeah. they are. I went out to see a, a group of guys who'd come out of jail and had done significant sentences. And I was talking to them about restorative justice. And one of the men who'd done great harm said, oh, I, I could never do that. I'd rather go back to jail than do that. And I said, that's the very reason you should do it. Aye. If you can't face up Aye. to the harm you have caused and to be, you know, to get some understanding Aye. and understanding about what your own behaviour's done, and I, I can't see much hope for change. So, so I think it's a really interesting thing and, and actually the most serious crime and particularly for violence and for murder it's actually much more effective Aye. interestingly enough so I know lots of families who have wanted to meet the person who's done Aye. a terrible thing to, to someone they, they love and it, as I say it's not about forgiveness but they've had they've had a bit more understanding and it's made them feel better Aye. And actually, for the person who's done it, I think it's a step to change. I agree. I, I watched a thing, it was really powerful. Way. I can't remember if it was even Luther or somebody was in an American prison. Mm-hmm. And it was like a guy who was, it was like, it was, a, it was a real gangster. It was like Bloods, Crips, whatever it was. He went to a drug deal, killed two guys, it went wrong. Somebody tried to steal whatever, something happened. So this woman, who I thought was amazing. She was so strong. It was a, the parent of the, one of the boys that got killed. She knew that her son wasn't an angel. She mm-hmm. knew, like, she was like, I know my boy wasn't um, hangy, but he's my boy, like, and I know he was good. Like, he was a good boy. Uh, he just caught up in the rang things, blah, blah, blah. So he went in, she went in to meet this guy. So this guy was like, I think it was maybe mandatory in mm-hmm. this state if they wanted to meet, they had to do it. So this guy's like, I'm going to fucking tell him that, blah, 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 blah. See, when he went in and she was nice to him, 
I, I, I did not know what to do. It was like, uh, it was it was great. Like, obviously, like, you can see it, but he was actually crying. Um, just when she was like, I just want to know, like, I want you to go out, son, and you change your life. You, I know you've got a family. Like, I do want that happen to your family. And, oh, it was, like, so powerful. And the guy, he was so on the back foot. He just did not know. He was going in there ready, I think, to kick him around, maybe go, your boy was this and that. And she just took him right off. It's um, really, in, I mean, it's really interesting, and I think it's a really technical thing to do. You need oh, to be really I, well trained to definitely. to try and facilitate sort of a restorative practice. For the people who I know who've been through it, and sometimes they've had a really hard time for the person who's Aye. who they've harmed. But actually, it's made them think about what their behaviours have done and Aye. actually start on that process of change. Aye. You know, because sometimes you lie to yourself, don't you? Definitely. You tell yourself a story, and if you tell yourself often enough, Aye. you paint yourself out as the, you know, oh, it was just, you know, I was the victim here, Aye. and Aye. oh, it was just one of those. And actually, I think sometimes meeting and that sort of restorative practice, I think can, I think can fundamentally change your direction of travel. You know, Northern Ireland does it all the time after the Good Friday Peace Agreement. um, Restorative justice is is almost for everything, you know, is available. And it's how you start to connect up the justice system, isn't it? So it's not just about a court case or or jail. It's about, you know, it's it's about completing the circle. Look, I mean, the Good Friday Agreement, I I know it's a huge, that was a massive deal. And I know it's um, probably people would say, I don't know why you're comparing that to a single, single case, but... I, I don't think that there's much difference when you're talking about a group and you're talking about kind of hanging, but that was two hardcore groups of totally different people who the vast majority, and you're always going to get a minority that don't take part, the vast majority all put up doing arms, all stuck to the peace agreement because they all wanted it. They all deep down didn't want What's to that? run about in this kind of life anymore. Um and it's such a powerful Nelson Mandela was another one, like very Absolutely. powerful. Um and his family couldn't accept that. His family couldn't accept it. It was they was, was, was going to change that, do you know what I mean? But these people that's Leonardo da Vinci says it, doesn't he? He says like when you when you go out to try and change, you need to be ready for backlash. You're going to get a lot of backlash. Absolutely. Yes, Machiavelli as well Machiavelli, said that aye. um, you know, that change change is really difficult. You know, aye. you you know, the people who want to support you will support you, but they'll always be the detractors. And I mean it's really you said something there that I thought was really fascinating. I haven't spoken to one person who said Oh, I just, I'm quite happy just to contain this life. I said, you know that? Realise that they want something different. Definitely. And I'll say, so what does it look like? And they'll start to explain stuff to me and oh, I'd quite like this. Or, and, and it's often different, you know, it's not, sometimes it's really basic stuff. Aye. So I'm always saying to people, like when they, I used to, it was my favourite question to them. I said, shut your eyes and tell me what it looks like. And it really, A, they didn't want to shut their eyes in front of me, you know, but, <laughs> but I don't know what they thought I was going to do. But it's really important. You have to imagine what the future looks like for you. Otherwise, what it tells me is that you've got a lack of hope yes, and you can't right. envisage what it's going to look like in the future. And see if you can't do that. You're, you're, know. You know, the journey to change is going to be impossible. And I used to ask them all the time. So sometimes it would come in, it would be some that was quite immediate. Or it looks like this, you know, I just, I, you know, threatened getting stabbed or whatever Aye. else and you could do and then you have to keep on asking them right okay what does it look like now mm-hmm. you know what should and so because you're trying to get them into a place of hope so they start to think 
I want to go there. Aye. And you've got to get them to print. I always say this to people, when you're trying to change your behaviour, so it's coming up to Christmas, it will be the time when I think, right, step away from the Rosie's chocolates. <laughs> and the picture I'll put in my fridge to make me think is the best picture I've got of myself. You know that uh, when I'm happy and I think, oh, look right there, you know. Uh, no, you know, I just, and I think, God, I look good. So I put uh, the best picture of myself in the fridge. But for everybody else, we put the worst picture and say, don't be like that. Uh, that's not how you change your behaviour. You have to have something that's positive and think that's where I want to go to. Uh, so we need to stop saying to people, don't you be like that. Don't you be that bad person. We need to help them think about what else it could look like. Definitely. And that is a real big thing. I think that's what happens in the recovery hub with, with, that Cisco do and the prisons. I think it's what, you know, lots of the third sector and indeed some of the social workers, you know, lots of the social workers do. They try and get people to think this could be something else. Definitely. No, I, I, I see that. I've used this a couple of times, Karen, probably people, but I see this all the time, but... I say to people, um, imagine yourself as like a 100-year-old granddad or whatever, right? And your wee nephew or your grandson comes up to you and says, Granddad, tell me about life. What a day. Going to write it down for me. See whatever you put down on that letter. That is your value system. That's your foundational value system. It's your foundation for life. If you're not living that, you're going to be in conflict. Mm -hmm. You're going to have anxiety, you're going to have depression, you're going to because you're not fulfilling what you believe. Um, that's your core beliefs. And when you don't fill that, you're going to be in conflict with yourself. And I don't honestly think Andy goes to school and goes, I'm cho going to choose to go and have a life of crime or addiction. Or don't. Yeah. I don't believe that. Do you know don't. what I mean? Um, so I think people, we, we swing a lot of people, like especially with social media now, like so, all these fake people driving about Lam hired Lamborghinis and all that, and it's young boys are getting sucked in with it and going, thinking that this is the way that they should be living, and uh, and you're going, oh, these they, they, they're not even living like that. Like, it's so real. I know, no real. so fake. And Danny Dorling has just written a book, uh, well, he's, he's written a couple of books, so one of the books is called Shattered Nation, which, and it is pretty that depressing. Sounds, sounds it is a bit depressing, but the other book that he's written is called Fintopia. And it is around how the Finns, you know, and we talked about it before, have focused on well-being. And it's almost quite a protective, the way that they've, they've, they've sort of set up the country and, and what they've focused on, it's almost a bit of a protective factor against the very thing that you were talking about there. Right. So, you know, that they know they've got well-being, you know. I mean, they drink quite a bit and it is quite dark. Right. But there is something that is protective, so they're... I don't know, it's a it's a bit of a shield against that sort of falseness that's out there because, you know, they've got supportive families, they've got good education, although I always talk about this, their education system doesn't just focus on reading and writing and, and passing exams, it focuses on skill building. Definitely. I've seen it, see, like, um, in school, I know guys who have got their own businesses now, mm -hmm. Um, joinery businesses, maybe whatever, like uh, plastering businesses, um, loads of stuff who have got no education, um, who have got absolutely not, but they know what to do. So see if you've got a kid in school who's going to disrupt the class and going to go down that path because you're trying to say you need to learn trigonometry and you're like, I don't know what good that's going to do in my life. I don't want to do this. I don't care what it means. 
you'd say, well, what is it you want to do then? Like, what are you good at? Mm -hmm. I, I like building and stuff, or I like cars, or I like, right, let's get you in at a young age and get you as good at that as you possibly can be. <laughs> That's not the Scottish way, though, is no. it? We focus, and I could still tell you, but I'm rotting it. I know. You know, I mean, I, I think when you're taught at school, oh, you're not very good at this, and you're not very good at that, and nobody actually says to you, what are you really good at? Uh -huh. you know? It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, that uh -huh. we... I mean, I could still tell you, I mean, I, I really struggled with maths and I really wanted to be I'm good at it. Maths. And I was really, I really wanted to be able to do right. it. And then when my kid was going through maths, I thought, I'm going to learn this. And I still struggled with it, you know? <laughs> and I still don't know what your circle theory is going to be. <laughs> but you're right, there's a lot of kids out there who think, who are good at stuff. And we try and put them in a cookie cutter, you know? Aye. So we need builders, we need plumbers, we need electricians, we need people that can build roads, we need infrastructure Definitely. we need production you right. know we need to be able to you know we've got all these wind farms you know so we need a whole range of different skills and we need to think about what people are good at so what i know about some of the guys that i used to work with is they're amazing risk takers climb anything right i mean i we used to put people you know we used to take them climbing you know because they would climb anything roofs you know <laughs> a whole range of stuff but we need people that work at heights. Yes, you know? I mean, all the bridge building, you know, the, you know, the, the Queensferry Crossing, Force Road Bridge. I've got a cousin who does this, aye. you know, loves that sort of thing. Even on the oil platforms, we need people who understand risk, aye. who are not afraid, you aye. know, and most of the guys that I was working with weren't afraid. Definitely. So you can turn that into something. Mm -hmm. oh, and even, even history or something, like... Are you into I I like, I like oh I, I like I like to learn about that and I like to mm -hmm. learn, right well let's get you marry that I just don't yeah. understand why we keep I don't know it's, I mean you could go on and on about it all day can couldn't you you could really do a full podcast on that um, but I just think there's so many talented I've seen boys in the jail um, making tattoo guns out of PlayStation uh, controllers <laughs> I've seen like oh some of the stuff I've seen people doing in there. Um, like people like even when it comes to the bad things right i'm not trying to glorify it, i'm not but like stashes and stuff like that and and peter and like cells some of the things that guys come up with are like like how did you even think of that oh. um and it's people that can think outside the box and it's it's never picked up on it's just no. they're seen as like problem children or whatever and it just you go through that route and it's nine times out of ten it's going to bring you to the the best way yeah. to make money is... And yet we need to think about how we get people back into employment and, and focus on some of them skills. I mean, as I say, I've employed lots of people who have come out of the system and been transformational. And yet I think still think it's, it's held against you. I don't know what people think. You know, We're going to need to change the... We just look at past no. convictions as a predictor of future behaviour. And we know that no. when people have been out of that for a while, it's no, it's no greater prediction of their offending in the future than it is for me know. you know so it's so it does frustrate me because we need people in jobs Aye. and there's such a there is and i know people won't like me there's a wealth of talent Aye. i mean a wealth of talent there that if we can support people then go into they can start to earn square money they can support their families and their kids and their kids can see their mums and dads you know fulfilled Aye. in employment and obviously it needs to be decent decent pay i mean surely that's a much better that's a much better direction of travel than what we've got Aye. now. Aye. Well, one of the boys in Banged Up um, in that, that Channel 4 programme that we were watching, um, 
he was an ex-con, he was in for armed robbery, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it was, it, the guys that they had in were all serious offenders. Like at some point, the guys in for contract killings and all that. There was like a lot of people that were, um, but it was guys that have changed, changed mm -hmm. their life a bit. So this guy was like, he was getting this other, I can't remember his name, but he was getting this other uh, Tory politician that went in. So this Tory politician did actually go in and he was like, do you know what, uh, you all deserve to be here. Like um, he had his viewpoint and he, he came across with it. So this guy was like, um, what about the trauma that it's caused to us when we were growing up and we were in this system and all that? What do you think? And he said, what about the trauma about the victims? And the guy says to him, what about the trauma of the next victims then? And he didn't know what he said. He couldn't answer it. He was like, what about the trauma of the next victims? He says that I'm going to I'm going to go out and cause. He went, because that this, you know, thinking of them. He went, that's done and it's in the past. Yeah. And you can't... It's, again, I'm not trying to downplay it. There's there's no way you can downplay that some victims' lives get ruined by crime and um, understand that. But you do need to look at the future, man. And you need, if you're going to either own the badge and say we're maintaining these people, we're keeping them away from society, mm -hmm. um, or do what you're saying you're doing. And, I mean, the SPS is saying is trying we we transform lives. Um, I don't see that. I don't. I don't no. see that. This very a small percentage, and that's usually people like Natalie and that that that, that are kind of um, driving these changes, or maybe somebody has a spiritual awakening, something like that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's the kind of changes I see. Um, like yourselves, maybe go and do some stuff and all that. Like those d different good groups that have got these empathetic, compassionate, and understanding backgrounds. If you go into a prison and you had a hundred jobs to give, but you had an attitude. And you were going to you know what I'm going to give you this job, but it's a, it's a last chance and see if you do it. Everybody's like, oh, fuck off, mate. Yeah. No, keep your job. That is the way the jail is. Don't, like, people are at the bottom. They're there. They've been there for that long. They're comfortable in it. And sometimes the self sabotage. Definitely. Self sabotage because they always think what they've always got. Aye. And so they can't. So you give them something that's hopeful. When we, I remember I was speaking to, we, I was, we were running a program. And the guys were almost at the very, very end of it, honestly. And then one of the guys went out and he just, you know, anyway, it's a, it's a long story, Aye. but he did something. And I was speaking to a colleague, Lorraine McGrath at the Simon community. I said, I just don't know why he did it. It was fantastic. I just can't, but he wants to self-sabotage. He cannot even contemplate the fact that he actually might succeed at something. Definitely. So what he's doing is he's showing you that he's just going to think, you know that, fuck it. And, and I'm just... Myself, him, would be I so gutted to and see literally, you. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God. He wouldn't even be able to look at you in the eye. I know he would, I, I've seen people like us who... People I love and people that are still in my life that I, that I know and are on the kind of... The cusp of addiction and all this kind of stuff and... Uh, they've not got the best light and I love them they're my, people, they're my pals and I, I would never speak bad to anybody do you know what I mean and especially when I don't think it I don't think they're bad people at all do you know what I mean but uh, they, they, they can be bad people um, but the moral system that they've got I look at like these politicians and I go their moral compass is better than theirs at times, man. Yeah. Like, well, and I know that that will be controversial for people to see it, but that's my opinion. It's only my opinion. I'm not saying that's I, for anything else. But I think it's really interesting. I mean, I get a chance to speak to lots of people about crime and about what it takes to prevent crime. So I keep saying I'm in I'm in the preventing victims job. Yeah, that's what aye. I do. That's my sole reason. Aye. And for that to happen, I've got to work with people who are either risk 
have right. fallen in, uh, you know, have, have committed offences or are already doing it because that's the best way to prevent right. future victimisations. And I forgot what I was saying. Oh, that's terrible. What was I saying? What was the question again? I, no, we were just talking about like, um, like the victim, and I was saying the politicians have got a better moral yeah. compass, so, stuff like that. So I get a good chance to go and speak to people. So I, I talk to a lot of people around that. So the people I really love speaking to are young people. I so I go in and I speak to the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth years. And I do it in all the schools. I go out to all the schools. And I love it because I'll show them something and I'll say to the kids, right, what do you think should happen to this person? <gasps> should go to jail you know, lock them up forever and such like. And then I give them the life, you know, I tell them what's happened in the person's right. life. And I show them it. I say, right, what do you think should happen now? And honestly, without fail, the kids are saying, I think we should have done something there and we should have done something there. And young people experience that cognitive dissonance yes. much more than older people. So, you know, you give them a new piece of information and they actually change their whole perspective. So they're no wedded to thinking, Aye. that's terrible, we should be hanging by the neck until dead and they should all be in jail forever and let's build more jails. They'll actually think, no, I think we should do something different there. And they'll almost admit they were wrong. It's, it's fascinating. They'll say, oh, no, I was wrong. And, and they're quite happy doing it. Don't feel embarrassed. Aye. We're older people. And like and people in my age group, you know, they're, they're so firm in the way that they no. think. They, they refuse to experience it. I mean, I could tell them that the earth is round and they'll still think it's flat, no. regardless of how many pictures I show them or, you <laughs> know. So it's a really interesting thing. So I think, so I, I always think, I try and get people when they're young. And if I do it enough, it'll filter through. Aye. And hopefully they'll not read all the negative stuff that changes their mind again. Aye. And I hope, and I do meet people and say, oh, I remember you showed me that. Aye. And now I'm doing this. Obviously, um, that will kind of take me on to my kind of next, because I was obviously going to ask you a wee bit about like the position you're in the new car mm -hmm. and the kind of, uh, obviously, your, the, the, the organisation you work for. And a wee bit about, I know you do a wee bit about the CYCJ and I really like the mm -hmm. CYCJ. I do as um, well. So I think that's where you get them as well, is you try, need to try and get these boys uh, when they're young, get these lasses, the girls, boys, whatever. Um, and I don't think, I mean, I'm not allowed to work with, with, with children that because of the offence, and that goes right across the board, just because you've got an offence, mm -hmm. they don't really allow you, which I don't agree with fully. Mm -hmm. I think um, there should be some sort of, I'd love to go into schools and, and tell my story, and uh, when I when you do get the chance, the only chance that I've ever seen people, they were bringing people in, when I was in, I don't know if it was Addy Weller Shots, I can't remember, but they came in and asked, and without fail, uh, a couple of lifers, a couple of lifers who were yeah. right, well-known lifers who were like uh, well-known in the system for for being violent and this and that. I'll do it. I'll go up and talk to them. Uh, so four, they brought in four two wee boys, two wee lasses, mm -hmm. I think for kibble, uh, who were basically a next step was prison. Um, we all got, we all told a story. Uh -huh. Told them. Where it was not one is held back, mm -hmm. but we all told them, um, and we went. With the, so the officer went away, and the officer that actually done it, I didn't really like. I thought it was a wee bit of kind of. Mm -hmm. But see, when I seen him doing this, I, it changed my view on him. Do you know what I mean? When I seen him doing this, so he came back and filled us in, and uh, he was like, "Listen, do you know the, the three of them have went back to school? He went one of them's no issues, but the three of them have went back, yeah. and they're working, they're they're, they're, they're all, and um." 
team we asked him if he's got any questions none of them asked us anything or anything but they were taking it on yeah so we says six months later he says listen he says one of them was back at we says but one went away he says mm -hmm. two of them were able to yeah. move on yeah and, it's really interesting so scared straight doesn't work and you know that no definitely you know no i wonder if they were listening to the human side of the story and finding a connection there as Aye. opposed to I've never been a great fan, I think, to kids. Don't be that. You know, no. Showing them something that's positive. Definitely. I get the feeling that when you were speaking to them, they've connected with something. I really like the work that's been done with young people. Aye. As I say, I love some of the teachers that, I'm, that I work with because they're really trying to keep kids in school and really trying to, like, no end up excluding kids who end up on the streets. Because I don't know where people think when they go when they end up on the streets. And I was looking the other day there and I was, like, I, I was like, I was saying to people, this is why it's important. In 2009, we had 931 16 and 17 year olds in prison. Wow. We had almost 3,000 18 to 20 year olds. So 2019, it gets to 2019, we had 149 16, 17 year olds. And almost like a thousand. And so we did, and yeah. it's come down even further. And literally within the next, I would think, couple of months, we'll not have any 16 so golden question, years. right? And I, I've said this mountain. Mm -hmm. I don't like Alan Turbull, I don't like um, Dorothy Bain and all that. I'm not their biggest fan, but the bill that they put through for under 25 was an amazing piece of work. So that was Lady Dorian, actually. So it was a sentencing commission. And the thing is, you might not like the evidence, but the evidence is the evidence Aye. is the evidence. Now, it's no train tracks. You don't have to apply it like that as guidance. And when Lady Dorian put it together, and what, what they were talking about, I mean, we were involved in it, was around all the evidence about how the brain matures. And actually that everybody, everybody can change. Aye. They can. You know, Bobby said that way back in the 1960s. Nobody's impervious to change. Right. And actually, I think it's a really solid piece of work around when you are sentencing younger people, you need to have an idea of rehabilitation mm -hmm. and change in mind when you're doing it. That doesn't mean to say that you can't send them to prison mm -hmm. because if the offence is serious enough, then of course you can. Aye. However, they can change. Mm -hmm. And I, I I think there is something really that's really, it's really good for Scotland that we actually can look at the evidence and think, right, that's what we're going to put in place. Definitely. And it's, it's getting weaponised at the moment, you know, right. because you always have cases where, you know, it shouldn't have been applied like it's, you know. Know, like it's meant to have been. But actually, I think it's a force for good. And, and when we look at our young people, because you think, so the majority of people in prison right now are over 35. Aye. Now, right. I would almost suggest to you, that's people where we've failed to prevent it. Aye. Do you know what I mean? So we failed to prevent it in school. They were probably excluded for school and had all that trauma. But there's a much, much smaller, much smaller group coming up. And I wonder whether that will filter. And, you know, we will mm -hmm. have a much lower prison population because we'll have prevented it. And, oh, my God, is that not fantastic? Definitely. You know? I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware of that. Honestly, I, I've been showing everybody because I'm actually speaking to teachers and I'm saying, look, if you change the beginning of the story, you change the whole story. Aye. And so that sort of work is just amazing. I mean, it is amazing. So in all this negative stuff that we get in social media and all the cases, you know, where there's been a, a sort of strange judgment that, that has really negatively affected people, you know, or a wrong judgment, 
you need to keep your eye on some of the good stuff that's happening. Definitely. And just say, we need to keep on doing more of that. So you need to put your shoulder at the wheel and do even more of it. So we need to try even harder to keep kids in school. We need to try and get them into positive destinations that give them meaning and give them, you know, they're able to have a, you know, to be support themselves, to support their kids and their families. And actually that's what's going to change us. Right. And then, but you've got to fix it whilst it's moving. For the people who are in right now, I kind of write off the guys that are 35. So no. I need to work harder with them as well. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. And I think, um, obviously, I, I, I always thought that was Alan Turnbull that started that um, thing, but that's, it was actually Lady Doreen's, I've seen some of her work, she's quite uh, progressive and I'm quite, I quite like the, the stuff she's done. Um, but to, for, for, for I take my hat off to the crown and all that for doing it, for taking the, the, the hangy for doing it, do you know what I mean? And um, because... I was, I've been in the school, I've been in the University of Crime, and that is what it is. Pullman yeah. um, was the, the eye-opener where I seen the guys with the loudest kind of personalities and the guys with either went on to be the kind of loudest kind of gangster guys or whatever you might call them. But they also, they also nine times out of ten, went down the road of addiction and yeah. went, and that was your future uh, re-offender that was in and out, in and out, in and out. Done as much time as me. Mm -hmm. I, they were literally out two, two weeks and they were back okay. in, can do you know what I mean? These are, so it's a life sense and instalments. Definitely. And I seen, um, that was always the kind of people who you can look back at now and go, that was the one that was a kind of big name, like the, or the well, that actually, yeah. I don't know what you might call it, whatever, like the, the kind of big name in the hall and, or he would do this and he'd do that and they all end up traumatised so much. So, or they make good connections mm -hmm. and they end up going to the organised crime. crime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you're all doing, and they're making contacts, you're making this, you're learning, you're learning, how, right, I'm not make that mistake again, you're learning, if you listen to people's cases, you're learning to people how to get away with this and how you get away with that. And, um, and I just used to go, and then you'd go out and you'd, you used to go to add like shots and stuff, 21, and uh, a lot of the guys would look at you, you were only young and stuff like that, but you were listening to them as well, and you were listening to how they survived the prison system. And all the guys will tell you in prison, um, like as a terrible mindset, have it's like, um, wish, wish for the best, hope for the best, and then else is that no, wish, think of the worst, and anything else is the bonus. No, that's a see when you get into that mentality for 10 years. Oh. How you take him running about that, and then when you, it's so I think it's amazing what they're doing. I do honestly, I take my hat after them for that. Like, um, and trying to divert people as Aye. well from the system in the first place. I mean, I've been trying to persuade, you know, so Police Scotland. So they used to write like you know, like somebody gets picked up for a for a minor crime, and there's a a thing called antecedent information where you can say. You know, Karen's been drinking quite a bit, but she's aye. generally fine. You know, that sort of thing. Aye, aye. They help the procurators make a decision to divert someone. Aye. Because the justice system's like an infection. See, once you get it once, you I get know. it become lifelong no, and life-limiting. And so if you can get people out of the system at the very earliest thing, you know, and get them into, like, you know, going to meet Cisco or into recovery aye. or get them support from Phoenix or get them into rehab. Definitely. I mean... It is by far the very best thing to do. I can never understand why people don't realise that. I know. You know, and we just need to do a bit more of that. And I'm trying to persuade, like, colleagues in the police to say, look, you need to write a wee bit underneath so that when it goes to the procurator fiscal, they're not just filtering everything through to court. Aye. 
but we also need to have the services out there to support people. I know. And that's the thing. So my, the procurator fiscals and the chief executive there said, can't, I'm happy to divert. Absolutely. We see the people who need to be diverted because it's not in the public interest like to take them through. Aye. And yeah, you know the sort, you know, the people aye, aye. I'm speaking about who are like got all these challenges. And then I think, then I see the third sector getting completely denuded, right. you know. And we're asking them to work with people who need a lot of support. Aye. They need to be connected. They need somebody to take them along, Aye. you know. Take them Definitely. by the hand sometimes. Aye. Take them into a, an A meeting or an NA meeting or, mm -hmm. you know, or try and get them into a rehab. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's, um, I had Anne-Marie Ward on and uh, she was talking about the, the budget, the emergency budget that Scotland had got for mm -hmm. recovery. And she, I, I, I was actually pretty shocked, man. Like she says, 50 million they got in a uh, 500,000 they went into re rehabilitation and the rest was basically a harm reduction. Now, I don't know how much, yeah. but, but that, I was shocked with that because I was like, it should be half and half at least. Like I, yeah. I would much prefer the rehabilitation than harm reduction. And I'm no, like that's a whole new other uh, topic. Yeah. But um, I think when you're looking at that rehabilitation, rehabilitating people you need to as i said it's been like it's values it's you need to instill uh it's a whole new it's like written that old value system out and putting a new one in yeah. um which is extremely hard especially and i was i was it's really interesting that you know i suppose the public narrative around substance use and it was fascinating and terrible when matthew perry died i know and the bit that I really was thought was fascinating is he went into rehab 15 times. 15 times. I like rehab. I've known a lot Aye. of most of the people that I know that surround me have been into rehabilitation. Aye. And they will tell you it's that's what helped me. Aye. You know, I went in it for long enough that I felt supported. I could make different decisions about my life. I'd addressed what was driving me into this substance use and unpicked it. And they'd done some real serious work on themselves. Aye. And for me, I think that that should be an opportunity for people. Definitely. You know, I, I still think it should be. I love the fact that Harper House has opened, that, you Aye. know, we can now have women and their children, Aye. you know, together because you don't want to be ripped apart for your no. family. And actually, for children as well, they need they need a bit of support as well because they've often seen their parents in the worst of circumstances and they need a bit of recovery as well and there needs to be a bit of repair there. Definitely. So, you know... I slightly love that we've we've done that, but it's not a low cost, no cost option, is it? I know. You know, it's expensive, but can I tell you what's more expensive? No doing it. Uh, definitely. But see, when you, if you, I don't know how you would get the the actual stats, but if you were to take the stats of how much prison actually costs, how much the healthcare costs yeah. with, with, with drugs and stuff going, people in and out of hospital through whatever kind of problems through drugs and alcohol, it would far outweigh. If you were to plough a lot of money in yeah. at the beginning, um, and it is just because if you stand up and you go, "This is my manifesto. I'm going to put this amount into rehab. I'm going to put this amount into hanging. Nobody's going to vote for you." Yeah. So, hard, hard question for you, right, Karen? But how would how would you change it? What would you put in place that could get that kind of equilibrium? So. You're going to hate me saying that it starts at the very top. So the government cake, right, so the, the budget will be set soon, right, and Scotland will get its pie. 
And what everybody does at the top is we slice it and dice it. So everybody gets a wee bit, right. you know, so you get a wee bit in community justice, you get a wee bit in, you, wee bit in, you know, you get a bit in health and the police get quite a bit. We're all dealing with the same people. I I, uh, I met a family when 12 different services were through the door. And the mum was saying to me, oh, you know, you know, I have to keep my house tidy all the time because I'm terrified these people are all coming in. And actually, we're we're all going in and we're spending money <laughs> trying to go into the same family because actually she needs one person. Right. You know, that's the connected bit. And then they can navigate, they can, or they can organise all the services. I think the way that we allocate budget's terrible. Right. You know, I mean, it's, and they, everybody knows it. It's going to take a lot of thought to think about how do we look at this thematically? Right. So for me, the people who come into crime, so say, say 10,500 people went into prison last year. 8,600 came back within the year. Is that as much as that? Mm -hmm. Right, so then we have maybe another 11,000, 12,000 that go into community orders. Right. And then we'll have people who are on bail, obviously, right. who are out in the community. You start to add that up, that's not a huge amount of people. That's like a small football stadium. I know. Isn't it? Right. So you start to think about them and you think, right, so there'll be family issues there as well. See, when I start to think about it like that, I think, God, this is achievable. Right. If we started to think about what the human and economic cost around that was, mm -hmm. and we start to allocate our budgets differently, because those same people are also going to get ill later on in life. We know right. that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Live life's a chronic stress, addiction, you know, substance use, all that sort of thing tells in you eventually. Right. So they then lapse into ill health later on and they'll cost the health service loads of money. Right. If we started to think about it differently, we could allocate money differently. Allocate money around family support. Yeah, allocate money around some of the education and trying to think about alternative education. But at the moment, we're like the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, don't we? I know. We'll wait until people fall off. And then, then we think, right, let's get into action. I mean, I, I was having a conversation around around a woman who, who was who was very deep in substance use, had a kid. And I was saying about, you know, some of this, the rehab facilities that were out there. And somebody said, oh, she's not bad enough. <laughs> yeah, she's not bad enough. So it's really fascinating, isn't it? So we need to shift our mindset. Why is it we have to wait until someone's bad enough? No, no. <laughs> It's, um, Before we intervene, I mean, that's just, you know, and we do a lot of that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of money spent at that that thing. I mean, it's why, at that end, it's why we tell people to eat five a day, whether we do it or not, you know, <laughs> and we give people statins. It's because we knew that when they came into the emergency rooms in cardiac arrest and were pumping their chest, is actually, you know, there was only a small percentage actually lived. So what right. we've done is we've moved into prevention and we don't have a lot of that now. That's why we wear seatbelts because crush injuries, etc., were really difficult to deal with when they came in. So we've always moved into that preventative space. Right. And we do need to do that. That is a lot easier said than done because it's, it's a big, gnarly problem. But I actually think that we have done a lot to get to the space, and I think there's a bit of a zeitgeist, you know that? Aye. A time when change is possible, I think that's what we need to do it. I agree with you. I, I see that. I, I see the kind of change in, um, no, I agree with you, and I think you put that well, Carla. I, I think um, that is a, I think the politicians need to look at uh, how they dish out the money better, how they, as you say, is, I mean, I'm not trying to dish the addiction services and stuff like that, and the, um, 
the like recovery teams, the NHS and stuff like that. But uh, some of the stuff that they won't deal with because of mental health, and then I mean, it's as if they still want to run away for dual diagnosis, as yeah. if it's not a thing. And you're like, come on, man! Like it's the same thing. Like the guy's addicted because his mental health so low, and his his mental health so low, so he's taking that. It's like the same thing. Don't separate them. Like you need to send him addiction first. You need to work that out before we work with your mental health. Get together, man, and like work with him, man. Like, and it's it's that's that thing. You know when I said you know at the very beginning we need to we need to change because we need to look at the people who are who are there now and think what services that they need as opposed to what services do we have. I, I call it the ingenuity gap Aye. about the need for the need that's out there and the services that we provide. And the bit in the middle is the ingenuity gap when we're going to need to think differently. So whether it's it's kids that are out of school post-COVID and, and, you know, we're going to need to think, right, what is it we need to try and get them onto a Aye. different path? And for addiction services, it's like, why are we not meeting people's needs? What is it they need us to do, the service providers? And then we need to change. Not them. We need Aye. to change. Yes, right. Because otherwise, what's the point? You know, what's the point? Because, you know, we can always go to people's houses and say, all right, well, you don't want that service. Oh, well, there's no service available then for you. Right. I mean, that's just, that's madness. That's madness. No, you're right. Totally. Um, so just as we're coming up with the end, Karen, it's been brilliant having you and all that. Um, what's uh, the future then for community justice? What's, uh, what have you got in the know. pipeline? So, so I've... Nobody really ever knows what community justice means. I always say I'm the prevention service. They're to prevent offending for the first, right. the third or the seventieth time. I would quite like us to have a prevention service in Scotland. Definitely. Because there's very few people that end up in the system that I think, oh, that was a surprise. Right. You know? You know, it's... I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, they're no hiding, right. you know? No, no, no. And the amount of people that say to me, oh, well, oh, I could have told you he was going to be a, you know, he was going to be a headline when he was six <laughs> or seven. Well, what do we do then? You know? And I think we need to start to look at that <laughs> a bit more. So I quite like a prevention. Of, well, that's my my sort of thing that I think about, although some might call it a hallucination. No, it makes sense. But man. doesn't it, you know, right. in terms of like, how do we prevent? And actually, when I'm speaking to people and I say, can we think about prevention? People say, why? I see what you're talking about there. Mm -hmm. You know, they do, they understand the, the nature of prevention. They might not understand the, the, the concepts around community justice and about supporting people who've, who've been in the justice Aye. system, a whole range of them. But they get the idea about preventing. They get the idea about preventing victims. It needs more money. The challenge is, well, lots of the work that Natalie and others do is it's not a building. You can't see and feel and touch it. You know, when you're coming out of court or out the system and somebody's picking you up in a G-Wamey van and taking you to the, to the prison, the jail. Aye, aye. You can see and feel and touch mm. it and you think it's a physical thing. The work that we do in community justice is unseen. I don't have a building. The work is quite quiet. It's, it's long term and people don't see the visibility in it. Mm. that's a really difficult thing because people say you want us to invest in what something that we can't see that's no physical because we quite like building jails Aye. I think somebody somebody had said to me the only reason we're still using some of the prisons in Scotland is because the Victorians built them so well <laughs> but we need to Aye. build something different Aye. that's based in communities definitely and I was I was given some evidence to pre-budget scrutiny which sounds as difficult as it actually was because they were asking me about money and I think they get it I know that we're all really hard on politicians. 
they're sometimes coming into this and they've not got a background in it. No. We need to give them the solutions. Right. We need to say, this is the direction, of this is what we want, and, and support them to make better decisions in the future. Because otherwise, we just, you know, we go back down to the sort of, the base level, and then we start talking about, let's build more jails. No. And I'm not really sure that I want to be in a country that just thinks we're just going to engage in building more prisons. Because I always say, about, and it's, it's really trite, if you're building prison capacity, so how long does it take you to build a prison? Five, six, seven years? I mean, it's... it's, it's so you're building prison capacity for 15 years in the future. That's like saying you're going to fail all the kids in primary one today. Aye. That's what you're like. That's what you're saying to them is, I'm building capacity because I know that that's your direction of travel. Mm -hmm. That is less than aspirational. Any country that starts to build more prisons mm. has lost a grip right. of what it's trying to do. Definitely. And oh, you know, and it's so much money. Know. You know, and it's so much money. That's a phenomenal amount of money. Um, I mean, what I know, and it's obviously that's why they bring in the private services and stuff like that. And I mean, that's been a. I don't even know what you'd call that. Do you know what I mean? It's not been the best of uh, experiments, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's like people going about this HMP Glasgow. It's got to be different. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. And I'm no, I'm not, I'm not convinced, and I, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I, I get caught wrong, but unless they've got four wings in there that are rehabilitative, set like look like a rehab and act like a rehab. No. I can't see any changes. And, and when you look, and I'm going to go back to my Scandinavian countries, so I go out there quite because I quite like looking at it. And I think, right, what's it you've done that worked? They don't build prisons of more than like a couple of hundred. I know it's big. You know, one of the prisons I, I visited in Denmark had 150 people in it. Actually, there was men and women in it, which Aye. was really bizarre. You know, different different places. They had their own keys to lock. They thoroughly focused on rehabilitation. Is it society? But I think it's a societal difference where they go. We don't see them as like bad. We see them as broken people who are damaged. Well, or... they know they've got to come back into society. So if you know people have got to come back into society, would you not just try and would you not try and you know enable them to make better choices and and have the support services there to be able to do that? So I don't. I don't they've just got a different idea about it. Crime and justice is the most weaponized thing that we think about, isn't right. it? We talk about. I mean, we will hear the rhetoric coming up to elections, absolutely. Everybody will be trying to become tougher on crime, longer sentences. And I, I slightly despair of that because we seem to forget about the evidence when right. we talk about that. So, you know, people hold these opposing moral universes. You know, they know that there's other evidence there to tell you where to invest, but... We talk about building more prisons and, and jailing people for yeah. longer. I know. No, I think it is. I think it's a lot. It comes down to it being that. You can see that, like, in an it and, and whatever the object. Like, you can see it and you can feel it and you can see the the levels of it. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean it's good or positive levels you're seeing. It could be, um, well, as I know it is, it's bad levels of kind of. And obviously, I, I, I've said that a few times on on here, I really don't think we're ready for fentanyl and that coming up, which obviously looks as if that's going to be the case soon. Um, I think Scotland will be on a terrible trajectory if that happens. So I think we need to kind of get ready and and and, and get ready for this kind of stuff coming. Uh, I don't think the street Valium have been the, yeah. the big the problem now. And I don't think, I think it's outrageous that... Um, 
we've got to tell uh, mothers and grannies and stuff like that that they need to go and score uh, drugs for their um, for their son that the doctors can't provide a detox that they need to come down themselves. I don't understand that. Um, it's like it's, I call it actually like the, uh, you can't say that to that person, but that is what they need to do. Like so, they're saying my son's in the house and. He's like rattling and he needs his stuff and I'm going to do it. The doctor's told me I need to do it and I need to. And you're like, the doctor told you that? Like, come on. Yeah. Like, it's just outrageous. I've just got, like, we've not got a detox for you, day. Do you know what I mean? There's like so many benzodiazepines that are very strong. Get them in. Have a look at them. Like, you can, you're not going to tell me there's not a drug out there that's not going to hold the boy for a couple of days till it gets better. I understand it's dangerous coming off stuff, but you can't just put the onus on... On the mums and the families who that's what I, that's who, who was telling me she was up in East House Cam and a dodgy, dodgy bit. She's she, and this woman was not a criminal, she's a mm. nice woman, like she doesn't know what and but she had to go up and get drugs. She was paying massive amount over what they, mm -hmm. she should have been, like she was getting charged with it because the guy knew she didn't know anything about it. Um and I felt I I've got no power to say, look, don't do that or like don't like that's too much money and I, I I'm not going to comment because I, I can't do that but that's the GP that's advised her you need to do this and you're like if that lassie gets caught with a 500 valium coming out of the house she's getting done with it I know do you yeah. know what I mean and there's no way to understand an impossible choice that's made by parents I know. you know I mean I was speaking to parents last week who who had to pay off the drug debts of their kids and I could hear people even Tutting, even whilst I was talking about it, and tens of thousands, tens of thousands. But they felt they had to, you know, there's nothing that they wouldn't do for their kids. I don't think we've caught up really, and I am not, I mean, you've obviously had Natalie and, and Amory on talking about um, substance use and the services that are out there, and, and it's not my expertise. I know a bit. Aye. I do know a bit. I'm, I'm an enthusiastic amateur in comparison aye, to, aye. to what they do. But we seem to just think, you know, so for heroin, we know what to do there. No. We've got all these new atypical benzodiazepines like atizolam and, no. and the new ones that are out just now. And, and we seem to think, we, we seem to not know what to do around that. So we've not caught up. And you know, that's that bit that I was talking no. about, the ingenuity gap. We need to be able to work in that space as well. Because, I mean, even, you know, I was I was in an area when I was out visiting the, the drug consumption suites in, in Denmark and Copenhagen. I saw a lot of it was, predominantly it was about injecting cocaine. Aye. And I hadn't really seen that. That sounds really Aye. naive. And now what I see it's is they injecting here, a cocaine. Aye. Like it was it was around, but not Aye. not as prevalent as I, you know, as I'm seeing it now. So it's fascinating how trends change. No. And we need to be able to catch up. up and that's really difficult, isn't it, for services? Because oh, you get everybody trained and we get a drug regime and we, we know how we're going to support people out of it, and then it changes. Jeez. It's no, like whack-a-mole. You know, you press one <laughs> yes, thing down, no. you think, oh, we know how to deal with that, and something else pops up, and you think, oh, my God, and we're going to have these atypical benzodiazepines. Know. Uh, you know, there's going to be constant change. I know. Well, that's, I think, it, I mean, I couldn't believe we go, there was a police Scotland, uh, I let me know about the kind of, and I've seen things like, I, I know a lot about the dad drugs, I've read books, mm -hmm. and all that, I, I was thinking of Gadazalam and, uh, like, Super strains of Tizalam, and you're like, what the hell is it? I didn't like. I was now. I didn't. I was now aware of the the thing, and I kind of. I'm like in that field. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I was like, I was surprised at the amount of difference. And I'm like, 
I, I know it's very hard to keep up with the times, but you can't just you, you can't no, just can. shut your eyes and go like I hope this is going to go away because it's not going. To, it's going to it's be there in the morning, and and it's <clears throat> and it's here to stay at least in the you know Definitely. the medium to, to to longer term. I would say, right. and so we're going to have to think about what we do differently. And I think some people are. I mean, David McCartney from Leap, right. and and Edinburgh, who I slightly love, right. and who I think is is really thinking ahead about the, some of the stuff that that we're that we're, you know, we're coming across and how to support people who come into his service. Aye. But we will, you know, it's a really know. thorny issue. No, definitely. But listen, Karen, it's been absolutely magic having you on. Um, and I'll hopefully, I'll give, well, I always do, I'll give I'll you any wee things that we've missed that you would like to kind of speak okay. about, any wee things that you've missed. So I don't know, I suppose just... You see, I actually think Scotland's pretty amazing at tackling issues. I think you can motivate loads and loads of people. And I just think there's so much more capacity to just make it that bit, you know, to push it on that bit further. So I, I'm, not even, I'm not even articulating myself very well. I think things are so negative just now. I still think I'm still glass half full. Aye. I still think I come across people in local areas and families who are absolutely motivated to change. Aye. And that's where I'm basing all my hope on. Mm -hmm. You know? Definitely. The mums and the families and the dads that just do something different and the teachers that just make that extra, you know, that extra mm -hmm. effort to keep a kid. Or that, you know, or a third sector that's going into the jails and changing not only the people who come into the service, but also the people who are working there. Aye. And that's, if you don't um, have hope, then... And if you don't have hope, and I've still got to be hopeful. I know. No, I, I, sometimes I can get dragged in. It depends who you're talking to. You can get dragged into that negative conversation. And it's not always great, do you know what I mean? It's not always great for you as a person, because it can make you sometimes go, what is the point? But um, as I say, is talking to you today, it's gave me hope again like there's a lot of hope there um and i and different elements that that you've spoke about um so no honestly can just brilliant having you on and please just keep shining man like you, you did a great oh, job thank you right back at you